0: Hello everyone and welcome to the second season and the fifth episode of the Spin Move Podcast. I'm your host Samir. No Nathan and Paulo here this week unfortunately due to uh, emergency situations for both of them. So it's just going to be uh, me, Samir, doing this uh, podcast today solo. We have a lot to talk about today with the Major League Baseball pl- uh, playoffs just underway as I speak. The uh, um, Mystics winning, uh, losing, uh, winning the first game of the WNBA Finals, then losing the second game. A recap of the what happened in the NFL. Uh, also, I'm going to be talking about uh, college football and what went on. Which since I went to the Maryland Penn State game and what a disaster that was. And so, yeah, it's going to be a lot to talk about. Hopefully, I'll to- nail every single point so far that we have to cover and. Before we get started, where can you find us? Well, you can look, go into your phone and look, go to your Apple Podcasts or go to Spotify. Look up Spin Move Podcast. We're on either uh, media, or you can look on uh, app on Google Play, as well as looking at our website. Just go to spin, the Spin Move Podcast. Search that in any search engine. One of the first few links, which should be ours, is the one that's ho- hosted on Pinecast, where you can download and listen to us offline as, MP- as an MP3 offline, or you can listen to us on the web on the website itself, and follow us on Twitter at the Spin Move Podcast as we have produce an episode once a week uh, every weekend. But since it's me solo, this will probably go live come uh, Thursday morning of uh, October third. Can't believe we're already in October this. Here flown by, and before you know it, it'll be Thanksgiving and Christmas. So, yeah, it's, it's a really hot October day, actually. It's like 90 degrees. Kind of unusual for this time of year, but it'll cool down hopefully by this time next week. And so, we have to talk about what has happened in the Major League Baseball just yesterday. So, in case you don't know, the MLB playoffs has just started with the Wild card games: so Wednesday night and uh, tonight, Thursday night as I, or no, Tuesday night and Wednesday night as I'm doing this recording, and we have uh, two, four teams battling out for the advancing into the divisional round. Yesterday we had the home team, the Washington Nationals, facing off against the Milwaukee Brewers, and tonight we have the Oakland Athletics facing off the Tampa Bay Rays. The winner of this um, the Nationals game last uh, Brewers game last night will face the Dodgers in this uh, in the divisional round. And in the other uh, conference, the American League, you'll have the winner of the Rays and A's face off against the Houston Astros. So last night was a game for the ages, and possibly the best game in Nationals playoff history. So to recap. The team was lit- was literally 12 games under five hundred way back in May when they were 19 and 31. 19 wins, 31 losses. And yet somehow, someway, despite the injuries, despite the bullpen issues, they made the playoffs. And they made the wildcard game where it was a basically a one-game knockout round, kind of similar to, like, the NFL, where if you lose a wildcard game, you're eliminated from the playoffs. So we have... Uh, The home team, the Washington Nationals, versus the Milwaukee Brewers, as they have a worse record than the Nationals. And what a game last night. The starters were Max Scherzer versus Brandon Woodruff. If the second name doesn't sound familiar, he's a middle relief pitcher who was expected to throw two or three innings last night. However, it was Scherzer who was hit hard in the first couple of innings. He gave up a two-run home run to the Brewers catcher, uh, Yasmani Grandal, in the top of the first inning, and followed up with a solo shot given up to first baseman Eric Thames, and then on the other side of the diamond, uh, Brendan Woodruff only gave up one solo home run to Trey Turner in four innings pitched, allowing two hits total. And so, following the following three and a half innings between Strasburg, who made Stephen Strasburg the the Nationals' pitcher, who is ma- making his first relief appearance of his career. And the Brewers relievers Brent Sutter and Drew Pomeranz. So the following three and a half innings between the two was pretty, three was pretty much a snooze fest, as there was no runs and a sprinkle of hits were made, mainly by the Brewers. And the Brewers had that commanding three to one lead, and the Nats at that point, about like top bottom of the seventh, Nats fans were dro- uh, drooping their heads in a "here we go again" quote unquote moment that we saw all too often for the past four playoff appearances for the Nats. Then came the bottom of the 8th inning. So I was watching this game with my mom, who is a, a fan of the Nationals, and was co- and I was constantly telling her to watch out for Josh Hader, as he is one of the lights-out closers in baseball. During the regular season, in about 75 innings pitched, he only gave up 24 runs and had amounted to 138 strikeouts, basically double the amount of strikeouts per innings pitched mainly of the fastball and, the whiff- and his wiffle ball-like slider. So, in the bottom of the eighth, we had Victor Robles, the center fielder. He struck out the national. And then, young Michael A. Taylor, who was supposed to be the franchise player at center field. Instead, he was uh, he's now a bench player for the team uh, and minor league player. He was just called up for the playoffs. He was pinch hitting for Steven Strasburg and... He was controversially hit by a pitch, as uh, Brewers fans would say, because controversial as the ball thrown by uh, Josh Hader upon replay hit the knob of the bat almost a millisecond prior to the pitch hitting uh, Michael A. Taylor's wrist. So despite the uh, lengthy review, uh, Michael A. Taylor was awarded first base. Trey Turner, who had... Uh, one of the three Nats hits to this point, that solo home run I mentioned earlier, was a second strikeout victim. Two outs. drama building. Ryan Zimmerman, the longtime national who was drafted way back in 20, 2005, pinch hit for uh, outfielder Adam Eden. And what was ha- what happened was a thing of just magic, I would say. Zimmerman had a broken bat, a shallow outfield hit that landed in the one spot between the center fielder and the second baseman and the shortstop. That middle area where n- neither of the three players could get to. And so it dropped there. And Michael A. Taylor, who was on first, advanced to third. So runners at the corners. Anthony Rendon, a candidate for the National League MVP award. And will probably be resigned for $200 plus million plus in the offseason. As he's literally the franchise player. He was up to bat. He patiently drew a walk from Josh Hader, who was throwing wildly, surprisingly, because, yeah, his pitches never seemed to touch the reach the plate, his slider. He, he threw 30 pitches, 16 of them were balls. Very inaccurate for a pitcher who has 30-plus saves, and I told you, like 130-plus strikeouts in uh, half as many innings pitched. So, we have uh, Rendon walking, and now we have bases loaded. Up come who the fans fans call Childish Gambino. And for those who don't know that uh, nickname, it comes from a pun of Childish Gambino, who is also known as the actor Donald Glover, and the Great Bambino, which is Babe Ruth's iconic nickname. So put them together, Childish Gambino, plus the great Bambino, you get childish Bambino. And so put it all together, and that is Juan Soto's nickname, the 20-year-old runner-up for Rookie of the Year last year. So he's up at bat, smiling as usual, and after fouling off a pitch and then laying off another, basically a ball, he knocks a single into right field where the rookie right fielder Trent Grisham was. Unfortunately for Grisham, he overran the ball, as the ball went under his glove and rolls about 7 to 10 feet past him. And so that allows all three base runners to score. And the Nationals, who are down 3-1 with only three hits up until the eighth inning, have a 4-3 lead in an elimination game. So they had to ex-Blue Jay uh, Daniel Hudson, who they acquired uh, three, four months ago, Close out the game on 11 pitches, 7 strikes as a team in the first time in ages have won a series, quote-unquote, because it was a one-game elimination. But they advanced to the divisional stage in what was thought of to be an improbable fashion way back in May. So now, the team now faces the second-best team in baseball in the Los Angeles Dodgers, who basically ran away with the NL West division crown during the regular season and have potential Cy Young candidate Jun Ryu and potential MVP candidate Cody Bellinger, who had, uh, during the regular season had a three oh five batting average, 47 home runs, 115 RBI, and an MLB best, 9 wins above replacement. And for those of you who don't know what uh, that 9 wins above replacement is, uh, think of a replacement player who is basically your average player. He is worth about say, two run, two wins per game. So if the player's in, the team will win two, uh, two games, more than two, ga- two games about on average. So this guy, Cody Bellinger, if you put him in the lineup, the team wins nine more games than they normally would have. And that's the highest uh, war, is what it's called, in Major League Baseball during the regular season, Cody Bellinger. And don't forget, they also have... Uh, Clayton Kershaw, who's a lights out uh, pitcher, similar to Strasburg. So it's going to be a tough series, very tough series. As you're the basically the uh, the Nats are basically the underdogs at this point, point. and the series starts, I believe, on Thursday, same day as uh, the Thursday night football, as along with the Mystics game, which I'll talk about later. So to recap, the uh, I also wanted to recap the. Uh, Home run title, because I've been mentioning that in prior podcasts. So way back about uh, four weeks ago, I told you that uh, Tr- Mike Trout and Cody Bellinger were tied for home run uh, among the home run leaders at 42 home runs apiece, followed by uh, Christian Yelich and then uh, Pete Alonso, the rookie, and then Eugenio Suarez from the Reds. Fast forward to uh, Sunday night when the regular season ended uh, to Monday morning. And the rookie Pete Alonso led all of uh, Major League Baseball with 53 home runs, the most home runs by a rookie all time, smashing, I believe, Giancarlo Stanton's home run record uh, and Aaron Judge. I forget who the two. There's two players who had, as rookies, had within the last decade, had 52 home runs, and so he uh, just had one more home run than the all time. Rookie record. Followed up with Eugenio Suarez, who had 49. And then the uh, Royals outfielder, uh, Jorge Soler, who had 48 home runs. And then followed by Chloe Bellinger with 47. And then similar to last week, Mike Trout and Christian Yelich finished with 45 and 44 because both were out for the season for the past three weeks. So there's that. And then other final stats I just want to mention. the I found this kind of surprising. In that, yeah, that's just my cuckoo clock in this room. Since I'm recording in the basement, due to the others not being uh, able to record this podcast with me, Nathan and Paulo. So, other final stats for the regular MLB regular season is that uh, the White Sox had two players: one lead the uh, uh, MLB in batting average, and the other one leading the AL in RBI in uh, Tim Anderson. Had a batting average of three thirty-five, and Jose Abreu had uh, led all of the American League with one twenty-three RBIs. Then you also have uh, Nolan Arenado of the Colorado Rockies, the third baseman, who was the closest to a triple crown, which is very surprising, as we all thought Christian Yelich, the the uh, MV, reigning NL MVP. He was basically on his way to the basic, the triple crown with the amount of home runs he was hitting along with the high batting average and our but somewhat low RBI totals. But it's Nolan Arnado who was the closest to the triple crown as he had a 315 batting average finishing 5th in that category, 41 home runs, 5th again, and 118 RBIs which was 4th best in the National League. And then moving to the AL, we had two Houston Astros led all of Major League Baseball in wins. We haven't seen that since the Curt Schilling-Randy uh, Johnson days with the, uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks way back in the early 2000s. And these two Astros were uh, Justin Verlander, who went 21-6, and six, and Garrett Cole, who went 20-5. and five. And both led uh, the entire Major League Baseball in strikeouts as well. Mm-hmm. As Verlander had a three hundred on the dot, and Garrett Cole had three hundred and twenty six strikeouts, which is like the highest in the last like twenty years, I think, thirty years I think i read somewhere. And then uh, the Nationals top three aces and Steven Strasberg, Max Serzer, Andrew, and drew uh, and Corbin all finished uh, sixth, eighth, and ten in strikeouts respectively. And they were the first NL team in, what, 60, 70 years that had 220-plus uh, strikeouts each. As Strasburg at 251, Sturzer had 243, and Corbin had 238. Just crazy, mind-boggling numbers because in this day and age where home runs are plenty and strikeouts are too. So, but thought that was a bit interesting. And then since it's the end of the regular season, just to give a shout out to players and coaches who have retired, one being Ichiro Suzuki, who, be, who retired, if you may or may not recall, on the first game of the regular season, which took place in Japan. He, uh, if you, uh, he was actually a member of the, um, Miami Marlins last season, but then, uh. Wanted his release so that he could uh, sign with the Mariners, where he spent what 10, 15 years with the team. Since he got dra- he since he was signed uh, overseas from Japan as a rookie. So he wanted to play his last game in uh, Japan and acknowledge the Japanese fans as a member of the Seattle Mariners. And so he retired alongside, uh, and then two other players retired later in the season. Uh, one being the famous. Uh, Colorado Rocky in uh, shortstop in Troy Tulowitzki, who then became a Blue Jay and a New York Yankee towards the later half of his career, and when he, he, which he wasn't as good. But yeah, so long, Troy Tulowitzki, Tulo, we're going to miss you. And uh, San Diego Padres pitcher, uh, and among other teams, uh, Jake Peavy. Also, two coaches, uh, aka uh, managers. Retired in uh, the Royals, uh, manager Ned Yost, and the Giants' uh, head coach uh, Bruce Bochy. So shout out to them, and hopefully they'll have a nice career uh, uh, retirement and whatever afterwards. And uh, so that's the MLB portion. Now I'm going to jump over to the WNBA world, since I've, that's what we were talking about last two weeks as as the big story. In this case, it uh, involves the WNBA Finals, which has taken place. The first two games of a best-of-five series. So the the Washington Mystics are facing the Connecticut Sun in the NBA in the WNBA Finals. So there was a game on Sunday at uh, 2 p.m. and then there was another game on uh, last night at 8 p.m. that took place. And I did mention that there were six University of Maryland players involved, and. Uh, John Wall actually was in attendance for several of the games during the playoffs at home and also went to the play, the two games the on the, on uh, Sunday and Tuesday. And so he had to uh, he wanted to give his input on the team uh, on the mystics and this is from the athletic quote uh, their team is perfect and admiring John Wall said from the courtside Sunday it's easier said than done with the NBA with the WNBA." They can get super, compared to the NBA, they can get uh, superstars together with only 12 teams, so they can get a lot of players together. But you've got a person in Natasha Cloud that just runs a team, doesn't look to score, but can make open shots. Christy Tolliver can uh, get a bucket as well. Elena Deladon's going to be your scorer, and Emma Messamon is your sixth man. Latoya Sanders is like a Udonis Haslam. Interesting comparison. The, uh... Uh, former Miami Heat power forward, she, that uh, in that Latoya Sanders can make the mid-range, block shots, guard your best player. So they have all the pieces. When you got all that, you don't have to go one-on-one all the time. They keep this team together. They, uh, they can win multiple championships. They would have won it last year if Emma had been there, end quote. So he's referring to uh, Emma... Uh, Messaman who missed la- like I said last, last week's podcast missed la- uh, last year's WNBA uh, finals with the mystics because she was playing overseas with Belgium. and so we have the first two games of the series. and the big story out of uh, uh, game one was that the Mystics won and they won rather easily as they led the ne- g- entire game never trailed. Although they led by one early in the first quarter and then had a 15-point lead third quarter evaporate and dwindle down to four with about six minutes left, but then they were able to seal the deal. Starting point guard Ariel Atkins had the best game of her playoffs, finishing with a playoff-high 21 points and 6 of 7 shooting, 3 of 4 from three-point land, along with three steals and five assists. And the thing is, she was ice cold during the uh, previous series against the uh, Las Vegas Aces, as uh, she averaged only 4.5 points, 23.8% from the field, and only 18.2% from three. And they had a balanced scoring. Mystics did now, as uh, each player, as uh, five players, finished with 11 plus points. With Messamman with 11, uh, Cloud with 13, Tolliver with 18, Atkins with 21, like I mentioned earlier, and Del- Del- Deladon with 22. And speaking of Elena Del Don, she was efficient from the field in that uh, Sunday first game of the series, 8 of 13 from the field, but was only 1 of 4 from 3. And then the Sun trio of Alyssa Thomas, who had 20.6 rebounds, 6 assists, and 5 steals, basically a 25-5-5-5, five, 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 five. and then uh, John Cole Jones, the six foot six uh, center for the team, had 12.6 rebounds, 4 assists, more on her later. And Courtney Williams had a game-high 26 points on 9-of-19 shooting, but 6-of-9 from 3-point land, along with 5 rebounds and 5 assists. So all those did their damage, but it wasn't enough as the Mystics won by by about uh, 10 points. But the story of the game too, unfortunately, was that our star, the MVP of the league, Elena Deladon, had to leave the game in the first quarter due to pain in her lower back and never returning in the game. And this is the same injury she suffered way back in the 2014 in WNBA Finals as when she was a member of the Chicago Sky. And for precautionary reasons, missed practice on uh, Monday. And in this game last night, she suffered that back injury. So it turns out, as of uh, this evening, the MRI results uh, show that she has a small disc herniation. And the determination for Sunday's availability will be made on Saturday. So I hope she plays as she gets five days off, which is the best part. So she can rest up. So hopefully she can play again as this is a crucial series. This is the championship and they're tied at one apiece. So back to the game two. Due to that huge uh, loss, because Aleta Deladon matches with uh, Jonquil Jones very nicely. As she kind of shut her down in the... Previous game with only 12 points for Jay Junkwell. She went off in this game. Best performance postseason performance by any individual this uh this uh, postseason, racking up eighteen re 32 points and 18 rebounds, including nine on the offensive end. The first time a player ever in the I want to say twenty plus year uh his, a year history of the WNBA uh, finals, first time ever that a player has reached Thirty points and fifteen plus rebounds, and they ra- and the Sun racked up uh, forty-one total rebounds, while the Mystics only had twenty-seven. If you're to rewind to game one, Mystics had more of a had uh, twenty-eight rebounds, uh, total rebounds versus twenty-seven for the Sun. And then Alyssa Thomas, coming off her, like I said, twenty-point-six rebound, six assists, five steal performance in game one had 21 points, 12 rebounds, 6 assists in Game 2. And Courtney Williams had 22 points, 6 rebounds, and 3 assists in Game 2. So all three played really well, dominated the glass, and therefore couldn't uh, deal with the uh, Mystics' run uh, push that they had in the fourth quarter and put them away to win uh, by like 9 or 10 points. So now the series is tied, and we wait until Sunday to see who uh, moves on and who will win the decisive, the basically decisive game three? Because so much is uh, emphasized on the game three. Whoever has that two to one edge basically has the advantage for game four. But the problem is both the, both games are in uh, Connecticut, and so it'll be tough for the Mystics to win two straight games on the road. So they might be with. I have a feeling they might be without Elena Deladon. And what sucks about this is that Elena Deladon and the head coach Mike Thibault of the Mystics have both been kind of snake bitten in that they just can't win the WNBA Finals. I told you the uh, this is Deladon's third appearance in the WNBA Finals. In 2014 with the Chicago Sky, they got they lost. 2018 last year. She had that uh, hurt knee, like I mentioned in previous podcasts, and was very ineffective. And they got swept by the Seattle Storm. And then this year, this happens. And similarly, Mike Thibault, who's a head coach of other teams that have made the uh, WNBA finals. With, uh, two, he was with, I forget which other team. But they made the he made the finals with that team for two straight years, didn't win the title, and now two straight years here. And it's a wait and see. Wait, I said last week I'm expecting the Mystics to win the series 3-1. Uh, to one. So hopefully they can rebound and win the next two on the road. It will be tough. So moving right along. I have to talk about the elephant in the room in the Washington Redskins. Uh, as they got dismantled, destroyed yet again for the Fourth consecutive game. They're now currently 0-4. And, yeah, they're basically a work in progress at this point. They faced the Giants and lost uh, 24-3 on Sunday afternoon. And it was miserable right from the start. As the team trailed uh, with uh, uh, Case Keenum throwing an early pick. That resulted in a quick touchdown. Uh... With uh, by Wayne Gallman, the running back for the uh, Giants. And it went all downhill from there as uh, Dwayne Haskins actually had to come and make uh, an appearance in the second quarter. And then from the second quarter onward, it was the Dwayne Haskins. And so both the first-round rookies m- played the majority of the game as Case uh, Keenum had suffered a, like a leg injury, foot injury, in that Monday night game two weeks ago against the Bears. And so he was put on the bench. Haskins came out cold, obviously, as he hasn't gotten many reps uh, during, the, uh, during practice sessions and whatnot. And so he looked ice cold, trying to connect to his receivers. And obviously, there was a lot of miscommunication there. Defense, again, was an issue as they caved yet again, uh, allowing the Giants to run all over them, pass right through them. They had several uh, defensive penalties, holding penalties and whatnot, and it was just an awful scene nevertheless. And now we're on, on uncertain territory with the QB situation as now you have uh, Colt McCoy who had that bro- what injured leg and that was had to have like several surgeries during the offseason. Now he's ready to play, and now Jay Gruden, the head coach, doesn't know what to do. Should he start the injured QB? uh <clears throat> veteran QB, who uh, has played well, uh, decently well this uh, the year, but then has regressed the past two games and has an injured foot? Or should he go to the rookie, who is very ice cold, but is the franchise uh, QB for the future? Or should he go to his third quarterback, who hasn't played for, like, what, seven, eight months, it feels like, and go to him against the Patriots, that too, of all teams, the best team in football? So yeah, it's a rough situation. Yeah, so it's gonna be a long season as they face them, and then they face the Dolphins in Week Six, and that should be very amusing as you will probably have two zero and five teams squaring off in basically a run for the number one seed in the. Or number number one overall pick in the draft with this this matchup in two weeks. So, yeah, let's talk less about the Redskins and I'm gonna do something that I did uh, last week with uh, Paulo, and that is give a five minute drill recapping the past week of NFL games as quickly as I could can, hopefully under with under five minutes. So with that being said, I have a timer to my right. And I'm going to begin. So on Thursday Night Football, we had the Eagles versus the Packers. We had two devastating injuries, one to Jonathan Williams and the other two, Avante Maddox, one in the first quarter, one in the fourth quarter, both left on stretchers. Hopefully they're fine. Devontae Adams had the best game of his season with the wide receiver for the Packers with 10 catches for 180 yards before leaving the game in the fourth, late in the fourth quarter with a turf toe injury, which could be l- lingering in long term. And the Eagles surprisingly hang on to win, uh, 34-27, and go to a two and two on the year. Then we had the Redskins and Giants, which I recapped earlier. Then fast forwarding, we have the Chiefs and Lions. The reigning MVP Patrick Mahomes went touchdownless for the first time since Week Five of 2018. So basically, this time last year, versus the Jaguars. And Kerryon Johnson, the running back for the Lions, had the best game by far this season with 26 carries for a buck 25 yards, as the Lions sub- lose in devastating fashion 34-30. Then we have the Titans ends Falcons, and the story of this game was the Falcons offense, as they only mustered three points after halftime, despite gaudy passing numbers. Re- tight end Austin Hooper and receiver Mohamed Sanu had nine catches each for 90-plus yards. And they had poor rushing totals, on the other hand, as Demonte Freeman still can't get running, with only 12 carries for a paltry 28 yards, and the Titans' offense did work against the Falcons' D, with two uh, players—rookie uh, AJ Brown and the veteran Corey Davis—each having 90 plus yards and a touchdown each. And Corey and uh, Derrick Henry ran for 27 carries on a for 100 yards, and the Titans win 24 to 10. Then we have the Browns versus Ravens, and the Browns totally exposed and shredded the Ravens' defense as Baker Mayfield. The uh, second-year uh, player uh, QB targeted Jarvis Landry for a season-best eight catches for 167 yards. And Nick Chubb, the running back, had a career day with 20 catches for 165 yards and three touchdowns, including a back-breaking 88-yard touchdown run in the fourth quarter. And the Browns clobbered the Raven, My Ravens 40-25. to And I thought this would be the game of the week and the Ravens would win in a close one. Boy, was I wrong. Then you have the Raiders and Colts, as Jacoby Brissett had a great fantasy day, but not great uh, gameplay, finishing 24-46 for 46 for 265 yards and three touchdowns. But it wasn't enough as the Raiders scored early and often. They led by 21-10 at halftime and never looked back. One uh, interesting point is that wide receiver Tyrell Williams of the Raiders is the only player in the in the NFL this season to have a touchdown in every single game. And the Raiders won that this game uh, 31-24. Then we had the Patriots and Bills, a game dominated by Patriots defense and special teams. They had a blocked punt for a touchdown and four picks, three of Josh Allen and one to the uh, backup because uh, Josh Allen suffered a concussion late in the game on a tackle. And so they had four picks, the Patriots did, and Terrapin Cornerback JC Jackson had the game of his career, uh, life so, as he blocked that one punt I mentioned earlier that was returned for a touchdown and had two interceptions as well. Patriots win 16 to 10. And then we have the Panthers and Texans. Same score as this as the other Patriots Bills game 16 to 10. In this case rookie QB Ry- Kyle Allen replacing Cam Newton who has that injured foot had his welcome to the rookie and welcome to the NFL rookie moment. Uh, as he lost three fumbles, Kyle Allen did. However, the Panthers prevailed 16-10, behind a, another great performance from uh, CMC, Christian McCaffrey, with 27 rushes for 93 yards and a touchdown, and in addition, 10 catches for 86 yards. Then we move forward to the, uh, the Chargers-Dolphins game. Nothing much is said. Chargers win 30-10. to Then the Buccaneers-Rams game, which was a total shock to everyone, Probably, I think tons of people in Survivor leagues. For those of you who don't know what Survivor leagues are, there are leagues where you can pick one team each week to win that week's game. You cannot pick the same team for multiple weeks, and once you have a wrong pick, you are eliminated. So I think a lot of people had the Rams winning easily this game, and unfortunately, the Rams' fast defense was sleeping as Jameis was Jameis Winston, the Bucks QB had a had 385 yards and four uh, four touchdowns and one pick. And Chris Godwin, the receiver for the team, was the NFC Offensive Player of the Week with 12 catches for 172 yards and two touchdowns. Congrats to those in fantasy who started him in fantasy, as Benny benched the stud Penn State receiver after injury concerns later in last week, late last week. And Axe Stram, the Damaka had a 50 yard fumble recovery for a touchdown. Forced by ja- Shaquille Barrett, the linebacker who continues his Defensive Player of the Year performance with his ninth sack of the season in four games, as the team fended off a furious Rams comeback, winning a high-scoring game, fifty-five to forty. Then we have the Seahawks Cardinals game, as the Seahawks running back, uh, um, what's his name, Chris Carson, had a bounce-back game of sorts with twenty-two carries on one and rushing yards and no fumbles as he fumbled once in each, each of his previous three games with the team, and the Cardinals continue to get torched by opposing tight ends. This time, Will Disley had seven catches for 57 yards and a touchdown. The Seahawks strolled to a 27-10 win, and Kyler Murray, the number one overall pick in this year, past year's draft, has yet to win a game. The team is 0-4. Hopefully, the team will re- rebound and win one against this Sunday against the Bengals, who are also winless. Then we have the Bears and bike. Bears and Vikings, and this was literally a bear mauling at Soldier Field, as the defense made Kirk Cousins feel uncomfortable throughout. This reminded me a lot of the uh, Maryland-Temple uh, game that happened two, three weeks ago, as uh, same in that similar instance, Josh Jackson could not find any open receivers because the pass rush was relent- relentless and just, uh, yeah, e- endless. In this case, the Bears totally shut down wide receiver Adam Thillian, who had only one catch for five yards on one target, and running back Dalvin Cook, who only had 14 carries for 35 yards and a garbage-time touchdown, all without their uh, young QB in uh, – what's his name? The young um, Bears QB in uh, Trubisky because he left the game with an elbow injury and so Chase Daniel had to step in. And the Bears win 16 to 10. The third straight the third game that ended in a 16-10 score, kind of weird. And then we have uh, the second game of the week, the Jaguars and Broncos. It wasn't considered that last week, uh, week ago, but as it turns out, it was quite exciting. As you have to believe in the Minshew. Uh, Minchu had the the QB had led one of the best comebacks of the season as he helped uh, orchestrate the this uh, the team down the field. For, uh, for the Jaguars, as for the game winning field goal, as time expired 26 24, Fournette had the best game of his season 29 carries on 225 rushing yards. As they forced the Broncos to f- surprisingly fall to 0 4, and to add injury to insult, uh, the Broncos lost a, a stud pass rusher, Bradley Chubb, to a torn ACL. Then we had the two uh, uh, night games, the Sunday night. Cowboys versus Saints. It was a rematch of the same, of uh, the similar game last year, as both teams combined for under 24 points yet again, when this time the Breezeless Saints win 12 to 10. Both offense played decently well, not enough to win a game, because there's only one touchdown scored going to uh, Ezekiel Elliott. And then we have the Steelers and Bengals, which is pretty much a snooze fest between 2 0 and 3 teams. Bengals at this point can be lumped with the Dolphins and my Redskins as three of the worst teams in the NFL, as they couldn't pass protect with eight Steeler sacks, nor run block as they only ran for uh, 73 uh, rushing yards, as the Steelers stymied the Bengals 27-3. And so, that recap was actually eight and a half minutes long, unfortunately three and a half minutes over what I expected it to be, so be it, but there is your... uh, Week four uh, NFL recap, and so for for week five we have the uh, Red, Redskins facing off against the Patriots. Initially, the spread was Patriots favored by sixteen points. I think it's since been dropped a bit, but still, Patriots would win re- easily. Oh, I would be very shocked if Redskins made this a game at all. Even Jay Gruden, I think, I believe, has said that this will be a loss or yeah, whatever. It's going to be a long day for the Redskins on Sunday. As for uh, the dark horse game of the week, unfortunately, Paolo and Nathan couldn't give their inputs for that. I couldn't. Uh, you can't. We can't pick the marquee games like the Packers or vs Cowboys at four o'clock on four thirty on Eastern on Fox, or the primetime games like the Sunday Night Football game between the Colts and Chiefs. So my dark horse game of the week this week is the Buccaneers versus the Saints in a battle of two NFC South teams. This should be an exciting game, high-scoring game, nevertheless, as both teams can light it up. It might be hard for the Saints on one hand because they're without Drew Brees and uh, Teddy Bridgewater, the backup, hasn't looked as crisp, obviously, as the 40-year-old. And the Buccaneers' defense, the interior defense, rush defense, has been... Stout, One of the league's best. But their pass defense is a different story. So in that case, that game may open up for the Saints as this game is also at home in the Dome in New Orleans. So I have the Buccaneers winning 38-24. My last week's score prediction was way off as I did say that the Ravens would win 27-23. It was actually 40-25 to Browns. So I can't do the birthday game, unfortunately, because, yeah, Apollo and Nathan are not there. But I will mention some birthdays that are worth uh, celebrating today. And happy birthday for those of you who are born on October 2nd. So we have uh, several NBA players, some NFL players, and some uh, celebrities. First off, we have Sting, the singer, who turns a very young, a 68 years old. Follow that, that, that up with uh, Kelly Ripa. For those of you who know, she's an actress, co-host of Live with Regis and Kelly, has since been changed since Regis has stepped away from the morning show. And Kelly Ripa is a young 49 years old. Then we have the Yankees outfielder Aaron Hicks, who turns 30 30 today. I have to give a shout out to uh, the NHL because... It's um, this guy's birthday, Phil Kessel, the former Bruin, Maple Leaf, at Penguin, and current Phoenix Coyote right winger, as he turns 32. And as I speak, the first game of the games of the season are underway in the NHL. Capitals, I believe, are playing the St. Louis Blues, who won the Stanley Cup last year, this year, and the as you know, the the Capitals won it uh, last year. So it's a battle between two Cup champions. Hopefully, Ovechkin scores a goal in this game. And then we have uh, three NBA birthdays. Aaron McKee, the form, the point guard who, and small forward who played uh, with the Trailblazers, Pistons, 76ers most notably, and the Lakers. And he's actually the current Temple basketball head coach. Aaron McKee turns 47. Joe Ingles, the current Jazz small forward and Australian, who looks like everyone's math teacher, is what people have commented, is 32 years old. And then we have the former, number, I believe, number one overall pick or number two overall pick, Tyson Chandler, the ex-Bull, Hornet, Bobcat, Mavs, Knicks, back to Mavs, then to Suns and Lakers, and now current Rocket Center. That's like almost like 10 teams. He turns 37 years old today. And then two NFL birthdays, one to the late Steve Sable, who uh, the di- director, producer, and co-founded NFL Films, who passed away seven years ago, unfortunately. He would have been 77 today. And then uh, he, uh, Then we have uh, Mark Rippon, the ex-Redskins, uh, Browns, Rams, Eagles, Colts, Raiders quarterback, who is now 57 years old. And now to the college football recap. So we have uh, quite a few number of games that we uh, talked about uh, towards the end of last week's broad, uh, broadcast. So uh, the first game I want to talk about is that Clemson UNC game that happened uh, around three o'clock uh, on uh, three o'clock on Saturday. Cl- UNC. I remember I I called the UNC to upset Clemson. They were literally this close to upsetting. Clemson won 21-20 as UNC went the length of the field and missed on a two-point conversion late that would have uh, had them uh, winning 22-21. Unfortunately, they did kind of like a trick play-ish kind of a pitch. And so, yeah, UNC falters and Clemson still remains undefeated, but they drop in the standings as I believe they're number two overall in the AP poll. But an exciting game, nevertheless. I almost called that upset. Then we had Oklahoma versus Texas Tech as Oklahoma cruised 55-16. Jalen Hurts continues to still be on fire. And his wide receiver that he targeted most often was C.E.D. Lamb. With 7 catches, 183 yards, and 3 touchdowns. Then we have a battle between two uh, ranked teams in the ACC. Notre Dame versus UVA. Notre Dame won 35-20. As Ian Book didn't do much uh, off- like offensively, stat-wise, Notre Dame had a 21-3 second-half run, and so and wide receiver had Tony Jones or no, you see wide receiver running back, he had 131 yards and three touchdowns. Then we had Paolo and Nathan's favorite team, USC versus Washington, and it was 28-14 Washington as their defense was the story, forced the. Freshman uh, USC quarterback to uh, Jake Finks into three interceptions and costly interceptions. And so the Washington Huskies move on. And I believe they have only one loss. Yeah, they have one loss on their schedule. And they're four and one, I believe. Next up is Auburn and Mississippi State. And uh, again, like the Oklahoma-Texas Tech game, Auburn won rather easily over Mississippi State. Bulldogs Uh, 56-23. As Bo Nix, the quarterback, had 335 yards and two touchdowns. And Auburn had six rushing touchdowns on 217 rushing yards. And then the night games, we had Ohio State destroying Nebraska 48-7. As quarterback Justin Fields had a pedestrian day. Uh, But uh, J.K. Dobbins had 24 carries, the running back for Ohio State, for 177 yards. And the total, they had uh, 368 rushing yards on the game day for Ohio State. And uh, the last game that we covered last week was Washington State versus Utah. Washington State uh, actually lost to Utah 38-13. to So after scoring 63 points against UCLA, like I mentioned last week, the uh, Washington State uh, Cougars... Quarterback Anthony Gordon was medi- pretty much had mediocre stats. 252 passing yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. And they ended up losing 38 13 to a really good Utah team. But I have to talk about the big game that took place on Friday night. The first Friday night Maryland game in what? In like decades? Years? And. Tens and tens of thousands of years. But nevertheless, uh, Maryland versus Penn State, and it was a sold-out game, like I mentioned last week on Friday night, That so much so that they added bleachers, and since there were 10,000 student tickets available and 14,000 students put in claims for tickets. So they made, like a, I believe, like a 40,000-seat st- uh, seat stadium expand to probably like 50,000. Yeah, and despite the Bruja and whatnot, and the, despite the hoopla and whatnot, it was never a game to start with. So Maryland lost 59 to nothing. It was a horrible game, as it was over within the first three plays. I was there alongside uh, uh, Matt, who has been a guest, uh, for our previous podcasts and uh, two of our other friends and so we all went to the game and it was over within the first three plays as uh, Josh Jackson our QB the Maryland QB threw a pick six and it went all downhill from there the offense could never get it going and yet they committed so many offensive defensive holding penalties in particular and you could see that Penn State was just on another level compared to Maryland Maryland seemed like a what uh, division D- one double A team compared to this uh, Penn State team, which is one of the best in in the top twenty five team every single year, and so the Pat crowd quickly emptied by halftime, and who could blame them? Maryland was down t- thirty eight zip at halftime, and they had as many total yards. It was like ninety eight as Penn State had rushing yards, which was ninety six. So, yeah, it was a blowout right from the start. I left like midway in through the third quarter, and it was no, not worth watching a, like third stringers versus fourth stringers. Awful game, and it's actually the worst game in home loss in Maryland history. And it continues a trend of Penn, Maryland losing to Penn State as they've been outscored 163-6 to six over the last three meetings. That includes Friday night's fifty-nine nothing win, and a thirty-eight three win last year, and a sixty-six three win in twenty seventeen. Penn State has outscored Maryland one ninety-five to ten in the last three trips to College Park, including the one meeting in way back in nineteen ninety-three. And yeah, it was just disgustingly bad. So onwards we go as Maryland faces Rutgers next week, and yeah, this is against the Rutgers team who just fired the head coach a week ago, and as their team is also, is actually uh, one in three. I'm surprised they actually have one win on their schedule. So let's move off from bad, from the negative, and talk about the Heisman Trophy candidates. So I've been giving a. The best and best to worst odds, according to Bovada, of who will win the Heisman Trophy over the past two weeks—about like ten uh, candidates—and we've had a number one uh, change every single week so far for the past three weeks. Originally, it was Trevor Lawrence, number one, then followed by a Joe Burrow, the uh, LSU quarterback, and followed that by. Uh, no, number two in the first week was Tua Tagovailoa, followed by Jalen Hurts of Oklahoma. So let's fast forward three weeks. So the uh, Heisman Trophy candidate with the best odds of winning the trophy is Jalen Hurts of Oklahoma. Jump from uh, the number three spot to number one after his 17 of 24 performance for 415 yards, three touchdowns and one pick. And he had also nine, nine rushes for 70 yards and another touchdown and a 55-16 win over Texas Tech, like I mentioned earlier. And then the second guy is Joe Burrow, who went from four, the fourth uh, 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 best odds to now number two. And there was no game for the LSU this week, so it was a bye week for them. Three is Tulo Tagovailoa from Alabama. Who has jumped a lot, quite a bit? He was uh, second in the Heisman running, then first, and now third, as he had uh, four, went for 26 out of 36 for 418 yards and six touchdowns in the 59-31 demolition against Ole Miss. And then we have Jonathan Taylor, who has been that thir- third, fourth, fifth guy in the running. Now he's ranked fourth. He had 26 carries for 119 yards and a touchdown in a 24-15 win over Northwestern. Justin Fields of Ohio State is now fifth after a kind of pedestrian performance, 212 yards, three touchdowns, and one rushing touchdown in a 48-7 win against Nebraska. Followed that up by the two Georgia guys, Jake Fromm, the QB, and DeAndre Swift, the running back, as they're both now sixth and seventh. Sam Ellinger, who was unranked two weeks ago, is now 8th, fell from 7th to 8th. He also had a bye week along with Justin Herbert of Oregon, uh, who went from unranked to now ninth. J.K. Dobbins, the running back from Ohio State, jumped from unranked to now 10th after his 24-carry, 177-yard performance. And then Trevor Lawrence has a free fall of sorts, as he fell from the number one best odds of getting the Heisman Trophy, basically in the preseason to the week one, has now dropped to 11th after his uh, dismal, uh, mediocre perfor- 18 of 30, 2 6 yards and one touchdown as they barely squeak by uh, UNC, like I mentioned earlier. And so we have uh, three games, uh, no, we have uh, seven games that are worth watching over the, uh, on Saturday night. We have number 14, uh, under. we have a, uh, Big 10 matchup between number 14 Iowa and they're going to the Big House at number 19 Michigan at noon Eastern and this will be an in- intriguing battle as I do feel that Michigan who has been on the ropes as of late and has been on the uh, with their head coach uh, Jim Harbaugh has been on the hot seat because of their poor performance against uh, Army who they barely defeated and their crushing blowout against the uh, Wisconsin at Wisconsin this is another test against undefeated Iowa. I believe uh, Michigan will win this, so we'll see about that. Then we have Maryland at Rutgers, noon Eastern on the Big Ten Network. And, yeah, I think Maryland will win this, but it will be an ugly game nevertheless. Uh, then we have the last, uh, worth, last g- noon game worth watching is number 21, Oklahoma State, at 4-1 against uh, Texas Tech, who is and 2-2 on the year. So can Mike Gundy uh, have his team uh, go to 5-1 and one on the year? Well, we didn't see a noon on FS1 on Saturday. And then the, possibly the game of the week is uh, the big cocktail party, as people say. Number 7 Auburn versus number 10 uh, Florida at, uh, in uh, Florida uh, in Gator, Val- Gator Nation. Both teams are undefeated 5-0. and 0. Both teams are ranked in the top 10. And that's a three thirty game uh, SEC game on uh, CBS, and so that will be very exciting to watch. I'll be reading hard for Bo Nix and Auburn. And then we have uh, number eleven Texas, who is three and one, led by Sam Allinger, as you know, has been Trophy candidate, the QB, who goes on the road to face West Virginia, who's a surprising three and one despite losing, uh, having their head coach let go last year. And that's a 3:30 game on ABC, and that's a, that could be a surprising upset. I wouldn't be, sh- I would, many people would be shocked if Texas would lose. I wouldn't, because I'm predicting that West Virginia will win on the upset of the week. And we have for the nightcap uh, number 25 Michigan State on the road at uh, the Ohio State, on number four Ohio State, who is five and zero. That game is at 7:30 Eastern on ABC. And Oklahoma and Ohio State, who have many have penciled as the number one team in the nation because Alabama has some defensive issues, I think. But Ohio State has more looked more like the more complete team, is what people have saying. Offensively they're really good. Defensively, they were atrocious last year. Now they're like one of the best teams defensively. Yeah, they could leapfrog their way to the three if not two if they have a huge performance here. And then the last game is a packed. 12 game between California and number 13, Oregon, on 8 o'clock p.m. on Fox, with uh, Justin Herbert leading the way for that. So we talked a lot, or at least I talked a lot about the baseball series uh, between the Nationals and Brewers, the wild card game that took place last night, which was very exciting, possibly top 10 game of the year in Major League Baseball. I also forgot to mention for the Major League Baseball playoffs, we have the Yankees versus the Twins as the Astros face the winner of the Rays-A's game that is happening right now. And then we have the Braves versus Cardinals along with the Dodgers versus Nationals, as you now know. So I'm predicting, uh, if I were to give a prediction at this point, I'm going to say the uh, Astros make the World Series against the, uh, I'm going to say the Braves as much as I hate, hate to say it. Because, I mean, the first series, uh, Yankees versus Twins, Yankees have the Twins number, but the Yankees have had an injury history of sorts. Like 20, 30 people have hit the injured uh, uh, list over the past season. But yet, they're still the number one or number two seed in the uh, uh, American League. I'm going to say the Twins pull off the upset as they win their first series against the Yankees in like decades. Then they'll face the Astros, and I have the Astros winning that series, and then in the NL, I have the Braves beating the Cardinals, and the Dodgers ver- beating the Nationals, unfortunately so. Dodgers are just too good at this point, and the Braves are going to the World Series against the Astros, and the Astros pulling it off. So yeah, we talked about B- Major League Baseball playoffs, talked about uh, WNBA, the, how the Finals are shaping up so far with Elena Deldon now injured. And then talked a lot of some, summarized the NFL Week 4 along with the NFL Week 5 preview. And then went on to college football. So a lot that uh, I talked about. And, yeah, my voice is now hoarse <laughs> after doing this podcast. So th- with that being said, that's a fifth episode of the second season of the Spin Move podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Feel free to uh, f- listen to our prior podcasts on Spotify, on uh, Google Play, or on Apple Podcasts. Sub- subscribe to those, and so you can get weekly updates as we go live every week, every, I wouldn't say Saturday, Sunday, but in this case, I'll produce, uh, this will go live uh, Thursday morning itself of October 3rd, and you can follow us on Twitter on uh, Spin Move Podcast, where you can like. Retweet us, quote tweet us, or DM us, and we'll feel free to respond. So that's going to do it for the fifth episode. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Pass this on to your friends and family. And enjoy this October, the first week of October. And for Samir, sorry Paulo and Nathan couldn't join me as they had emergency situations. But for Samir, signing off.